Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 399 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, Peter Oswald speaks with John Greening about his passion for verse drama, his work translating writers such as Schiller, his introduction to Steiner and Theosophical Theatre, and the struggle to find institutional support for verse drama and long-form poetry. Peter Oswald was born in 1965 and is a poet, playwright and performer, known particularly for his verse drama. He's been writer-in-residence at Shakespeare's Globe, where three of his plays in verse were performed. His translations of classics in this genre have been staged in some of the world's major venues, from the National Theatre and the West End to Broadway. And he's received many prestigious prizes for his work, such as the South Bank Award for the production of his version of Schiller's Mary Stuart and the Evening Standard Award for the Golden Ass. He co-founded the Columbina Theatre Company to specialise in new comedia plays in verse and the Limonos Project, which creates plays connected with Rudolf Steiner's Anthroposophy. He's also written a play for prisoners, both directing and performing with them, and several substantial verse dramas for autistic students. He volunteers as a storyteller for the Hands Up Project and has appeared in this role at several major festivals in the UK and USA. He's married to the poet Alice Oswald and they have three children. Peter, thank you for inviting me into your house. It's lovely to... A pleasure. Good to meet you, John. Nice to be able to chat. And you're both a poet and a playwright. Which came first? Uh, well, poetry, I think, uh, in schoolboy times. And I started writing plays when I was 14 and then decided to combine the two, in other words, to write verse drama, when I was about... 20, 25, 26, I think. Mm-hmm. So I tried uh, writing plays and prose for quite a time and took some of those to the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. And it was fine, but I just felt there was something missing, some kind of block, and just decided to rewrite the play of mine that had recently been at Edinburgh in 1990, yes. to rewrite that in in verse, and we performed that at the Fulham Fulham Arts Centre. It was then called the Turtle Key Arts Centre mm. in, I guess, 91. Mm. So that was my first, apart from university, when I did one verse play, yes. which was a kind of precursor of the others. Well, going back to the school days, did you act at school at all? Did you appear in plays? Uh, yes, I was in the pantomime at prep school, mm. and I played a foolish... Sailor, which was a kind of comedy starring, not exactly starring role, but there was a kind of little comedy moment Mm. for him in the pantomime. And then at school, at later school, not so much, but a little bit. I was a villain in um, Much Ado. Oh, yes. Boraccio. And do any of those early poems that you wrote still... Mattered you? I mean, you're, you gathered together 30 years or 32 years, I think it is, of, of poetry, of sonnets in one of the books of yours that I looked at. I don't know whether any of those yeah. sonnets go back to school days. Yeah, I think the first one that, of those that I wrote 
was when I was about 18, the first in right. that book, which yeah. is called Sonnets of Various Sizes. Yes. And the first narrative poem that I wrote that I still perform, I wrote when I was 20, oh. which is um, in the voice of Helen of Troy. Are there any writers or actors in your family? Or is it just you? appear sort of fully formed from, from the head of whoever yes. the head of yeah Zeus well but my grandpa my mother's father he described himself as a man of the theatre he, he was actually an Anglican priest who then left or was asked to leave and joined the Church of Rome he was the vicar of Soho during the war and he had he ran a circle of Christian writers including T.S. Eliot and Dorothy Sayers Charles Williams and so on. So he was part of that attempt at a verse drama revival in the 40s, or at least tangentially. And there were a lot of books signed by Eliot in his library, and he did encourage me very much in terms of theatre. I think there was something com- coming through there. Mm. Yeah. That, that's fascinating, actually, and it sort of leads yeah. naturally into what I want to ask you about verse drama, because it all seems as that sort of distinction between the Eliot type of verse drama and the sort of Auden stroke Brecht type of verse drama, the one where you're not really supposed to notice the verse, because the, the Eliot yeah. wanted it to almost sound like natural conversation, whereas Auden, Brecht, you know it's verse, it rhymes. And I, it, which of those do you favour in your own writing? Do you, do, you tend, what, do you want the audience to hear its verse, or do you just want it to be caught up in the in the experience and think, well, this is a good play. <laughs> yes, I do, I do want them to hear it. And I know a, a, a contemporary verse player who talks about using the ghost of the pentameter. But to me, the oh. ghost of the pentameter is prose. So mm. the Lambert pentameter is the verse form nearest to natural speech. So very well suited, to my mind, to, to verse drama. But of mm. course, it has connotations, resonances with the great Elizabethans and Jacobeans. So mm. it's kind of taboo. But I think it's flexible enough to be used in a, in a current form with all of its devices of alliteration and its strong rhythmical qualities right there to hear. Hmm. Very recent one uh, of yours that you sent me, Sif, you seem to be yes. varying it quite a lot, so shifting from Iambic pentameter to something more alliterative and, and Anglo-Saxon in sound. It, yeah, it, it, in it, that, that set mm. in the Anglo-Saxon times, yeah in Britain, about the, the conversion of the Kentish people mm. by Augustine. And, in fact, it's a rewrite of my first play at the Globe, which was the first new play at the Globe, the New Globe. And there I decided to have the Anglo-Saxon people, the English people, speak in alliterative verse. Mm. And the people speaking Latin, actually in tetrameters, so four beats. So there aren't really any pentameters in that. Right. It was just a, a kind of holiday from <laughs> the pentameter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it has those, and prose as well, so yeah. three different forms. Yeah. So that you referred to that um, first play at the Globe, that was Augustine's Oak, was that? Yes. Yeah, yes. How do you look back on that now? And indeed, how was mm. it received by actors? And Because it's, it's quite... There's a sort of resistance to verse drama, and uh, I would have thought to a certain extent, or perhaps you'd found yeah. not so. No, no, there's a powerful... and completely overt resistance to verse drama and to contemporary verse drama mm. and at the Globe it manifested in a kind of indifference really certainly from the press which was al- almost harder to deal with than hostility yes. would have been mm. but within the Globe I guess a kind of bubble there was just complete enthusiasm and Mark Rylance was in charge of course and he mm. 
um, the remit of the globe was to explore original practice. And he said the foremost original practice was the writing of new drama. So he was very keen to have a playwright, a living playwright, on board. I, in terms of my development, it was essential but painful and awkward. There wasn't anywhere else that was prepared to commission a new verse play. And I I know that because I tried all of them. (laughs) But the, of course, Shakespeare looms very large and in the very beginning of the globe, even larger probably than he does now, there have been quite a few new living playwrights working there since then. So that was scary and a bit crushing. Mm. And (laughs) But it's just, it was, as I say, essential. And I guess I just had the youth to get through it, (laughs) if nothing else. Yeah. How closely involved are you or have you been in, in the productions uh, when, when, because you might, you might as, a, as the poet behind it you might long to say well no that's not the way you speak it or whatever or have you been kept out of productions generally I haven't developed a strong and clear methodology to express to actors about how to perform verse I keep thinking about it and working on it I, the director of my plays at the Globe was Tim Carroll and he had a strong developed methodology Hmm. himself we generally agreed so in terms of how the verse should be spoken there wasn't a huge role for me there of course in terms of the development of the play itself it would be a close collaboration between me and the director and the actors so did he work on uh, the golden ass as well yes he did and the storm which I read I mean it was a play I remember seeing advertised and I didn't get to see it I so regret it but it sounds as though reading it you can see what fun it must have been yes there's a a lot of traditional farce about it and the energy and so how do you go about reworking because that's not actually a play originally is it it's a prose text I I think I'm right in saying is that right that's right yeah so you had to turn it into a play yeah yeah it's an ancient Roman novel and kind of a collection of stories really but with a strong thread through the middle of this Mm. guy who's been turned into an ass and Mark hired a place called Canterbury Tower where apparently Francis Bacon used to well definitely Francis Bacon used to live at one point and Mark being a Baconian i.e. someone or he was at the time someone who who believes that Francis Bacon wrote the works of Shakespeare he thought it would be fun and interesting to for us to work in this place. So we, we meaning him, myself, Claire Van Campen, his wife, and Tim Carroll, sat around this big old oak table and just went through, slowly reading through the whole of the original of The Golden Ass, discussing which bits we would want to have in our play and which we wouldn't. Mm. So we, we worked very collaboratively from the very start worked out a plan which obviously I departed from a lot in the writing because you do and then there were rewrites and so on but that was the original that was the first stage mm. of that process mm. so it's very funny but you've written sort of darkly serious pieces as well do you prefer one or the other or do you just like the variety of writing sometimes a comedy sometimes a tragedy my ideal is a kind of carnivalesque verse drama that can include everything yeah. and as you say it's farcical and funny this guy being turned into an ass, but also he does suffer terribly That's true, yeah. in his animal form. Mm. And Mark was very good. Who Mark who played Lucius, the character who turns oh, into an ass. He, yeah, yeah, he was very good at, at conveying 
that mm. the very funny side and then the real suffering mm. so while I try and the, in my present collaboration I'm constantly being reined in by my collaborator because I always want to veer more towards the carnivalesque and the mm. humorous it's not always appropriate no. so you've done a lot of collaboration but do you generally even if it's not a collaboration is there someone you show draft to or, or consult or ask for criticism that is a bit of a problem I would sometimes show plays to Alice she's yes. very busy and if I'm writing draft after draft after draft I can't really ask her and also as a poet I think she sees things differently although she has a very very strong dramatic sense mm. so it is a bit of a problem if I'm not in a commission mm. or a collaboration mm. to find someone to give feedback yeah yeah but you have collaborated with Alice, Alice Oswald on, on other things, I believe. Is that why right? you published a pamphlet we, together? Yeah, we published mm. one or two pamphlets mm. together, which is basically just throwing together poems of ours in a pamphlet, and then we performed together. We performed together quite a few times. Mm. Yeah. Must mention Mary Stewart and Schiller in general. Schiller yeah. is obviously very important to you. Yeah. Uh, yet probably blank looks you've mentioned to most people <laughs> in, in England, sadly. Tell us why, why Schiller is so important to you. Well, maybe there would be blank looks, but there was an interesting moment when Schiller entered the English canon, sometime in the 80s, I think. And I remember Michael Billington writing about it, rather surprised. Why should this neoclassical German playwright from the late 1700s and early 1800s suddenly become quite good box office in, in Britain and America? And... I think that comes down to the need for verse drama. But anyway, my first paid job was to translate Don Carlos to do a version, strictly speaking, because I don't speak German. That's a long play, isn't it? I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, it's the size of two Shakespeare plays. (laughs) It's vast. So I translated that, you know, rewrote that. I actually went through the whole thing line by line with a German dictionary so that I could get a feeling, a real feeling for the language and the lines, despite not really being able to read German mm. and that was that went on at the Lyric Hammersmith and was directed by Tim Carroll so that started off quite a long collaboration mm. and probably that and my work at the Globe gave Phyllis Lloyd the idea of well I knew Phyllis actually I'd known her for a long time but gave her the idea of commissioning me to write the version of Mary Stewart for the Don Mar House in 2005 mm. and do, do you look at other people's translations when well, I was brought up on Stephen Spender's version yeah. of it. And, and someone, I, there was a quote of a German producer about his version. He said, it's a series of poetic variations on themes of Schiller, like a modern composer on themes by Bach. Is that sort of your approach, really, kind of th- poetic variations? Or do you try, are you trying to be strict uh, in, in your version? With Don Carlos, I tried to be very strict. Right. And I was very overjoyed to be told by a German friend that it's very close and by the time I got to Mary Stewart several years later Hmm. I certainly wasn't in the mood anymore to plough through the German and I wrote it very loosely and Philida said let's look at the Schiller (laughs) Hmm. but she she just gently brought me back to the Schiller and said we need this to be more spare more direct Hmm. because being brought up in the tradition of the Elizabethans and the Jacobeans and all that Hmm. It's not natural for me to be spare and sparse. That's not what I want to be, a bit more kind of full and diverse. But she was right and got me to write it in a more controlled way. Mm. So we worked worked together 
like that. I yeah. mean, they're, they're terrific plays, the Schiller plays, and so the stories are wonderful. Yeah. You're just re- sitting, I read your, your, your most of it from cover to cover, it's just gripping, really. So, yeah. as good as that's what it's like on stage, I have seen it on stage, but not your version, sadly. Mm. And then there was Serrano, and that was uh, much more recent, I believe, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Which I, I noticed you, you call a free translation as well. And I don't know that yeah. so well, so I don't know quite how much, like the opening which seems to be the old Serrano looking back. Is that in the original or was that your... No, that's Tom Morris's idea. He's right. the director. Mm. And he wanted to have an older actor playing Serrano mm. so that he could then start with him old and, as you say, looking back. Mm. And I just went along with it. And I can read French, so I did that mm. from the original. But there was a sense that it could be a, a bit free. Because mm. it rhymes, my version, mostly. Are combined again, rhyming, unrhyming, and prose. Hmm. Hmm. So there's quite a mixture in there. You've got different audience expectations there too, haven't you? Because perhaps more people will know the story or have seen the film or something. Where the Schiller people perhaps tend not not to know, although yeah. know the history, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. And then recent, very recent, this Sif. Now that you, you were talking a bit about it earlier, how it is returning to that first play. So you're perhaps moving in a new direction. I think you you said to me you want to, to write more original, less translation and more original. Uh, drama is that is that what you're yeah well what I'm working on now is the play that Schiller was writing when he died and he he wrote the first two acts it's called Demetrius and the rest he left in note form and I managed to get the National Theatre to commission me to write a finished version back in 2011 but they for whatever their own secret reasons they axed the project after three drafts but to me the significance of that is that the theatre world in general is quite reluctant to commission new verse dramas. The only exception, in my experience, has been Mark Rylance and The Globe and all of the different innovating energy that was there and when it first opened. But The National, for example, said to me quite overtly, we think our money is better invested in you as a translator than a writer of new mm-hmm. works in verse. Uh, which for me is very frustrating. Mm. But I'm lucky too that in my theatre company, Columbina, which which you mentioned, John, at the beginning, and which is focused on commedia, in that I can just really fly loose and it's there's no classical constraints. Right. You mentioned Rudolf Steiner. Tell us about his importance to you. In about 2008, I parted company quite conclusively with the mainstream theatre, as you can probably hear, there's, there are frustrations and you know between us, between me and the mainstream theatre. And I was taken up instead, to my amazement, by a whole world that didn't know existed, mm. which is the world of Steiner and anthroposophical drama. And Steiner died in 1925, aged about 67, I think. So he, he was there towards the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th, and teaching an esoteric mixture of almost all the religions of the world, really, and all the cultures of the world, focusing on a kind of Christianity that includes reincarnation and karma. And he himself wrote four verse dramas which follow a set of characters through various lives through the centuries, although it focuses mostly on the, the present, which then was the early, nine, early 20th century. Right. And... He writing in German, is this? Or? Writing in German, right, yeah, right. in iambic pentameters, mm. and I guess pretty much inspired by Schiller and yes, Goethe himself yes, yes. and the others. And he built, or his movement, built an enormous kind of theatre temple in Switzerland, 
which was burnt down in 1923, uh, but it had a thousand seat theatre and all the great ballet and theatre companies of Europe wanted to perform there. Mm. But his first dramas were performed there and they also mm. performed Goethe's Faust, or at least scenes from it. Mm. So the tradition of theatre in anthroposophy is very, very strong. Mm. And in Britain, there's a collection of about 12 colleges under the umbrella of the Ruskin Mill Educational Trust. And they commissioned me in 2008 to write a large-scale verse drama uh, based on the temple legend, the legend of Solomon and Hiram and the Queen of Sheba. Great, great story. And this was to be performed by any number of actors. There would be students and staff, a combination. And they didn't want me to in any way dumb down for the students because they do Shakespeare with them anyway. Mm. And it was just a whole new world that opened up as the other one closed down or kind of shut its doors. And since then I've written two or three, three more plays for them. The current one is about King Arthur and hopefully will be properly performed next year. It's because of lockdown, it's been a bit slowed down. Can you imagine yourself writing a play... So unfiltered by myth and history. It would just say set in 2021, uh, drawing room comedy type of thing. I mean, myth, history seem to be very mm. important to you. Yeah. Well, I write a lot with... I had a company called Heart's Tongue Theatre Company mm. down in Devon, which was again set up about 2003. And I started off writing large-scale verse dramas, like you say, mm. based on myth and history mm. with them. But it was clear that we lacked the skills of basically mostly amateurs or professionals not being paid and so I started writing a series of short prose plays Mm. which are often very farcical or surreal bit Kafkaesque set either overtly in the modern age or not in any particular age Mm. so I do I do write those kind of plays Mm. but they tend to be quite strange not really drawing room exactly or or they'll be like making fun of the drawing room quite I see yeah we must leave time to talk about your poetry because are you as prolific a poet as you are a dramatist? You seem to have well, produced an enormous number of plays and the poems, yeah. I'm not quite sure. You say on a website that you're in the process of organising them at the moment. Yes, yeah, I did manage to organise them. I, I frantically organised everything in case I died of COVID, which in fact, in the end, I just got mild COVID. Oh, did you? Yeah, but yeah. They are, yeah, they are quite well organised at the moment. I, I do write poetry whenever I'm not writing plays and sometimes mm. when, I'm also, when I am writing plays I don't know how to say whether they're prolific or not moving yeah. to Bristol sparked off a huge flood of, of poetry and what do you respond to most in, in poetry, in other people's poetry or indeed your own, is it imagery, is it the sound or what's the first thing that, that, that draws you into a poem primarily I'm only interested in boldness, mm. Hopkins Shakespeare, Dunn bold Brave poets, mm. Alice Oswald, mm-hmm. uh, several other poets living but unknown. Mm. And I'm not so won over by quiet confessional poetry, although, of course, I accept it as a mm. place. So, really, I guess my taste, the kind of poetry I love, it would tend to be poetry that's in some way related to drama, or yes. not so very far away. Now, do you compose aloud? No. You don't? No, I don't. I do write longhand, everything longhand, and then eventually type it all up. Longhand and long poems, as a long poem of yours, Wayland, um, Wayland, that that, that, that I read. Um, So so what what 
is it draws you to the long poem? That's almost as difficult to place as verse drama, actually, uh, the long poem these days. There is a long poem magazine, which is very good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. And when I started out, Wayland was really my first completed work. Mm. As it were, my first book of poems, although it wasn't a book of poems, it was a mm. long poem. And I sent it to Oxford University Press, mm. and Jackie Sims wrote back very effusively positive, mm. but saying that she couldn't publish something so epic. She said, please be in touch if you have something less epic. Mm. But that really never happened. Yeah. Uh, and then OUP cancelled their yeah. poetry Disastrous. list. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah, the, the, as you as you suggest, there's a kind of block to the kind of poetry I write, really. Well, although the sonnets in various sizes, which is a yes. book I thoroughly recommend, uh, it's fascinating actually. Uh, it's fascinating because it's from, from such a sort of from thirty years, and you don't tell us when each poem was written. And yeah, they're so true. varied. Is Shakespeare a model there for the sonnets? I felt that sometimes there was sort of almost a nod in his direction in some of the poems. Yeah, there are. There is a nod, and to the Elizabethans and Jacobeans mm. generally mm. in various places but of course the sonnet comes from everywhere Yes, and there are all kinds of sonnets and so I think that was partly the inspiration of the book is just just that yes. just the eclecticism of the sonnet even though it's such a clear form yes. in one way Yes. so yeah it's just supposed to be every kind of sonnet you can imagine mm. almost it's a hard form because so many people write them. It's, it's difficult to write without sounding jaded, but uh, yes. you, see, you seem to manage it somehow. Thank you. Um, and then the storytelling, which is again something we haven't talked about, but I know you are a storyteller. So what yeah. does that involve, being a storyteller? I mean, we know what it means sort of literally, but it's a sort of profession in a sense, is it, to be a storyteller? Yes. Well, there are two things I do. One is story poems right. that I write and I perform, mm. having learned them by heart. And I've done that with Wayland, which comes in at... 100 minutes wow and with something called three folk tales which is three folk tales each half an hour yes. long I did that at the hay festival and various others of of different lengths and the storytelling world and we have a very good friend nearby called ben haggerty who, who is a, a very important in the storytelling world yes. doesn't really accept that as storytelling because it's a learned text hmm. But I have had an opportunity to do some storytelling in the traditional way. Which is improvised, in a sense. Improvised, sort of following exactly. a, a route that you, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, retelling a story, right, basically, yeah, but yeah, not, yeah. not something that you've written down. Yeah. All on Facebook Live to children in Gaza wow. through this project you mentioned called the Hands Up oh, yes, Project. Yeah. So I'm having a bit of a rest from it at the moment, but over the pandemic period, hmm. every week I've been doing an hour of storytelling mm. straight into a screen. You get a few little comments in yeah. the corner, but it's obviously very different from performing to a live audience. It's yes. very strange yeah. indeed, but it's still storytelling. Yeah, there is an audience of some sort at least. I mean, that, that, yeah, they without, are there somewhere. Yeah. Without Zoom, <laughs> what would you have done? Yeah. Um, have you been tempted to explore other genres, like the novel, children's books? I have written a novel. Mm. I can't get anyone to read it, not even my yeah. best friend. <laughs> We'll read this uh, manuscript. <laughs> so one day maybe I'll find someone to oh. give some feedback on it. And I have tried, yeah, I've tried film scripts and so on, but I don't don't really seem to have the hang of it. I think if you're committed to verse drama, it takes up a lot. It doesn't really leave much room for something like film, which is an, 
which again will take your whole life to really perfect, I think. Is there any one poem of yours or play of yours that you regard, that you're particularly proud of, perhaps regards your signature piece, if such a thing seems to... Yes, well, generally speaking, most writers will probably say their most recent thing or what they're working on now, and I would say that. But if I had to look back on existing texts, the play that I, of mine that I first felt had found its form and was no longer kind of staggering along trying to exist was The Temple, which I mentioned before, the, mm. the, the first one commissioned by Ruskin Mill yeah. Trust. And I just felt that that was a complete and workable verse drama. Mm. Whereas the ones before, so that includes all of my plays at the Globe and the National, all of them were in some way or other still struggling to find their final form. Mm. And in fact, I'm working on a lot of them still. Mm. Peter Oswald, it's been... Great to talk to you, Uh, so thanks for sharing all those thoughts with us. Thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That was Peter Oswald in conversation with John Greening. You can find out more about Peter on his website at peteroswald.net. And that concludes episode 399, which was recorded by John Greening and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 400... In our Best Writing Advice series, RLF writers share their best suggestions for those hoping to pursue the writing life. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.com. .org.uk Thanks for listening.